Okay, welcome back. Chapter 30, Musculoskeletal Trauma. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time, it's hard for me to say musculoskeletal, so um, I'll either slow it down or mispronounce it quite a bit. Overview, musculoskeletal system review, injuries to bones and joints, basics of splinting, and non-traumatic fractures. Case study, 45-year-old Dominic Foster rushes out the door of her office building. Running late as usual, she thinks. As she steps off the curb onto the parking lot, she slips on a patch of ice and pitches to the left. Her arm shoots out reflexively to stop her fall. As she lands on her outstretched hand, Dominic simultaneously hears and feels a snap just above her left wrist. What are some safety considerations for the EMTs and patient in this scenario? What signs and symptoms should the EMTs look for in their assessment? Give you a second to look back over the introduction. Alright, take a second to write these questions down and try to answer them as we go throughout the lesson. Alright, introduction. Injuries to the muscles, bones, and joints are common. Such injuries vary in severity from minor to life-threatening. Proper emergency care can prevent additional damage. The functions of the musculoskeletal system are giving the body its shape, protecting the internal organs, providing for movement, storing salts and other materials, and producing red blood cells. Three muscle types are voluntary, which are your skeletal muscles. They're major muscle mass of the body, and they allow movement. Involuntary or smooth muscles are your internal organs. And then there's the cardiac muscle, which is the heart. This is important to remember. It will be on a test several times, I'm sure. Tendons and ligaments. Tendons connect muscle to bone. Ligaments connect bone to bone. That's very important that you remember the difference between the two. Cartilage. Cartilage is an extension of the bone end. It is composed of connective tissue. Cartilage allows the bones to ride over each other during movement with relatively little friction. Without cartilage, we would feel a bunch of grinding going on in our joints, and that's probably not very comfortable and very painful. Ligaments connect bone to bone, and tendons connect uh, attach muscle to bone, so there's the difference right there. Ligaments on the left, tendons on the right. The structure of a joint. You have the bone. Synovial membrane. The joint cavity tendons, the bursa, articular cartilage, and the joint capsule. The skeleton supports the body. The six types of motion are flexion, extension, adduction, abduction, rotation, and circumduction. The axial skeleton is composed of the head, thorax, and vertebral column. Appendicular skeleton is made up of the bones and the extremities, including the shoulder girdle and pelvis. And here is your skeletal system. We've already went through these uh, bones in anatomy and physiology. 
Here's a review for you. Please make sure you're familiar with these uh, different types of bones and where they are located. Upper extremity bones. Again, make sure you're familiar with them and where they're located. Bones of the lower extremity, same thing. Make sure you're familiar with them and where they are located. Uh, one thing about this slide is make sure you understand that the left portion is anterior and the right portion is posterior. A fracture. A fracture is a break in the continuity of a bone. A fracture may be open or closed. Displacement of bones can cause damage to surrounding tissue. Osteoporosis is a degenerative bone disorder. Signs and symptoms of a fracture will be pain and tenderness, deformity, discoloration, parathesia or anesthesia. Parathesia is they cannot move, anesthesia is they cannot feel. Uh, paresis or paralysis in the ability to move the extremity. Uh, decreased pulse perfusion. Here's your types of fractures. Comminuted. Impacted. Green stick. Oblique. Spiral and transverse. Closed and open. Closed is within the skin. Open is outside of the skin. There's a closed fracture that has no associated open wound. Close to it, but not quite. There's an open fracture present with an open wound, often with a bone in protruding through the skin. Deformity is a sign of this kind of fracture. Complications of fractures include hemorrhage, tissue damage including nerves and blood vessels, infection, and interruption of the blood supply. A strain occurs, now know the difference uh, in strains and sprains. A strain occurs when overexertion or overstretching cause the muscle fibers to tear. Pain is usually localized with no edema or discoloration. A sprain is an injury to a joint capsule with damage to the connective tissue, usually the ligaments. This injury cause, causes immediate pain and tenderness with delayed swelling and discoloration. Strain is an injury to a muscle or a muscle and tendon, possibly caused by overextension or overstretching. A dislocation is displacement of bones in a joint, may damage blood vessels and nerves. Ligament or joint capsule damage is likely. Dislocation of the knee. Click on the injury that is characterized by overstretching and tearing of muscle fibers. I'll give you a second to think about it.
All right, if you chose A, strain, you are correct. When muscle fibers are overstretched and torn, the injury is known as a strain. General considerations. All musculoskeletal injuries can present with similar signs and symptoms. The force that causes the musculoskeletal injury also causes other injuries. Always assess the mechanism of injury and the signs and symptoms. Mechanisms of injury. Direct force. The injury occurs at the point of impact. Indirect force. The injury impacts one end of a limb, causing injury some distance away. A twisting force. Part of the extremity remains stationary while the rest twists. Alright, the femur and pelvis are critical fractures because they are very vascular. There's potential for significant bleeding. It can be life-threatening. A patient can easily lose approximately 1,500 milliliters of blood around each femur. That's one and a half liters. If we are about five to six liters total body blood, that is a lot of blood to be lost in just one bone. The large amount of blood that can be lost via the unstable and an expanded pelvic compartment can easily lead to death. The bones are highly vascular and can bleed profusely if injured, as illustrated in the long bones shown. The bones of both the femur and the pelvis contain large blood supply, a large blood supply with a tendency to bleed heavily when fractured. Assessment-based approach. Secondary assessment. Inspect and palpate the injured extremity. Though a fracture may be suspected in the field by signs, it can only be def uh, definitively diagnosed in x-rays taken at the hospital. Check for deformity, contusions, tenderness, swelling, and discoloration. Check the skin color, temperature, and condition, as well as circulation distal to the injury site. All right, so Signs and symptoms of a bone or joint injury, bruising, pain, swelling, deformity, tenderness, grating, exposed bone ends, joint locked into position. Assess for the six P's, pain, pallor, paralysis, parathesia, pressure, and pulses. Let me... Uh, parathesia is a tingling or prickling like pins and needles sensation usually uh, temporary often occurs in the arms hands legs or feet something to be aware of emergency medical care use standard precautions please make sure you have your bsis on and your personal protective equipment Maintain inline stabilization if indicated. Administer oxygen if needed. Splint bone and joint injuries. And apply cold packs and elevate the extremity. One question may be, can you splint in place? Meaning, can you uh, get the patient to the stretcher if it's not a very severe break? And just uh, pad around the injury and strap them to the stretcher or belt them into the stretcher? Would that suffice? And yes, it would. Just understand that when you get to the hospital, they're they are going to want to transfer your patient from the stretcher to the hospital bed, and uh, someone will need to stabilize that injured extremity while that happens so that there's no gross motor movement. If it's not severe and you have time to splint, using a SAM splint or a rigid splint, please 
please do so. During your reassessment, repeat vital signs, check interventions, recheck distal pulses, motor function, and sensation. EMTs Kyle Velez and, and Ellen Peterson have arrived on the scene. Glad to see that the first in engine is has spread some sand on the surface of the ice to minimize chances of further injury. The EMTs quickly complete a primary assessment and determine that the patient does not have a serious mechanism of injury or likelihood of spinal injuries. Their next concern is getting her out of the cold. The patient is doing a good job of self-splinting the injury for movement. So they place her on the stretcher and load her into the ambulance before completing a modified secondary assessment. Kyle carefully examines Dominic's left upper extremity. She has a deformity and swelling above her wrist. Her radial pulse is present and strong and distal motor and sensory function are intact. She also has a laceration on her left palm. What would be some choices of splints that would be effective in this case? And what principles of splinting should the EMTs follow as they immobilize the injury? Go back and let you look at the case study again. Uh, big takeaway here is that she is self-splinting. So that she will be able to ambulate because she has no um, spinal injury. They notice deformity and swelling above her wrists. She does have PMS in place and they notice the laceration. Take a second to write these questions down. All right. Splints are used to prevent movement of dislocated joints or bone fragments or ends to reduce further injury, reduce pain and chances of complication. Uh, complications can include muscle, muscles, nerve, or blood vessel damage, uh, conversion of a closed fracture to an open one, restriction of blood flow, excessive bleeding, increased pain, paralysis of extremities, and especially during spinal injury. The general rules of splinting assess the pulse, motor, and sensation, that's PMS, immobilize joints both, in a, both above and below, cover all wounds. So if it's a knee, if it's a, it's a, a tib-fib fracture, tibia-fibia, fibula, excuse me, um, you want to immobilize the knee and the ankle above and below that, that fracture. Align the injured limb if needed, pad each splint. Hold traction until the splint is applied. When in doubt, splint. Treat for shock if necessary. All right. Assess the PMS, distal, distal pulse and motor and sensory function. Cut away clothing to expose the injury site. Place a sterile dressing over the wound. Align the extremity with gentle traction if there is severe deformity, absence of distal pulses, or cyanosis. Yes, you are going to realign the bone. You're not resetting it. You're just realigning it so you can splint it. Pad the splint to prevent discomfort and un unnecessary pressure. The correct splint size will immobilize the joint above and below the site of the bone injury. 
Maintain manual traction. Do not release until the splint has been applied. After you've applied the splint, uh, assess the distal pulse and motor and sensory function after the splint has been applied. Some splints may become uh, padded already. Okay, splinting equipment. Rigid splints, pressure, air or pneumatic splints, traction splints, formable splints, vacuum splints, sling and swath splints, spine board, full body vacuum mattresses, and vest type immobilization devices. Here we go. On your left right here is what we call a traction splint. Obviously, you know, this is a long backboard. This is a soft splint. Uh, vacuum splint or pneumatic splint just some splint some rigid pads okay bipolar traction splint here's the um, the the makeup of it Traction splints are used to um, pull traction on femoral brakes, release a lot of pain, and um, probably and try and hopefully stop some internal bleeding. The vacuum splint, wrapping it around her arm, strapping it in place, and he is suctioning suctioning the air out of the splint until it is rigid. Okay, wrapping the area using, uh, it says a bed pillow, it doesn't look like a pillow to me, it looks like a, a blanket or a towel, but that is fine as well. Hazards of improper splinting, uh, compression of nerves, tissues, and blood vessels, delayed transport, reduced distal circulation, aggravation of the injury, excessive movement, skin damage from improper padding. Um, long bone injuries, uh, test to pulse motor and sensory functions, uh, align if necessary, do not release traction until splinted, splint in functional position, reassess pulses, motor and sensory functions after splinting and during reassessments. Stabilize that extremity, checking PMS. You're going to use manual traction if you uh, don't have a distal pulse, if there's severe deformity, or their extremity is cyanotic. The reason is because you need to get circulation going back to that arm. Measure the splint for proper length. So we're not going to use the actual broken extremity. We'll use the other extremity that's not broken to measure. They're using a vacuum splint. After you splint, reassess PMS. All right. Splinting joints. Ligaments holding the bones in proper position are often stretched and torn loose. Signs and symptoms of joint injury are pain, swelling, deformity, possible immobi immobility, and loss of function. Assess the pulse and motor and sensory functions below the injury. Checking for PMS. Got that vacuum splint. 
He's immobilizing above and below the joint. Right here you see above the knee joint and below the knee joint. Once he's got that splint on, he's reassessing PMS. I better plug the computer in. One second. All right, getting some power. There we go. Okay, traction splinting. Do not use a traction splint if the injury is within one to two inches of the knee or ankle. The knee has been injured, the hip has been injured, the pelvis has been injured, or there is partial amputation or avulsion because the traction splint pulls traction on the injury and it could definitely worsen these conditions. Splinting specific injuries. Special techniques can be applied to the splinting of a suspected bone and joint injury to specific sites. Associated uh, Pelvic fractures associated with pain and significant bleeding. Splinting methods include commercial binder splints, improvised splints, and a personal um, a PASG. Pneumatic. Now it's, now it's leaving me. We talked about it earlier. Okay, so there's a commercial pelvic splint. You can tighten that once you wrap it around the uh, the pelvis pelvic region. Pneumatic anti-shock garment. I'll get it right before my life ends, I'm sure. PASG is a pneumatic anti-shock garment, which you can use to splint the pelvis. All right, compartment syndrome. Compartment syndrome uh, is where pressure develops within the injured area. The pressure exceeds the capillary pressure needed to perfuse the tissues. The tissue becomes hypoxic, which results in further damage and swelling. Compartment syndrome signs and symptoms. Severe pain or burning sensation. Decreased strength in extremity. Paralysis of the extremity. Pain with movement. Extremity feels hard to palpation. Distal pulses and motor sensory functions may be normal. Non-traumatic fractures or pathologic fracture. This fracture involves a diseased bone. Less force is required to fracture the bone. Patients with a past medical history of cancer, osteoporosis, and other benign bone conditions such as congenital cyst often suffer pathologic fractures. All right, Kyle selects a padded rigid splint that extends from the patient's fingertips to just below the elbow. He carefully applies and secures the splint then applies a sling to immobilize the elbow. He reassesses the distal pulse and motor sensory functions. At the hospital, Dominic diagnosed, is diagnosed with a fractured radius and ulna and is told she will be wearing a cast for the next six weeks. The summary. Musculoskeletal injuries include fractures, sprains, strains, and dislocations. Some fractures can result in life-threatening hemorrhaging. EMT management of musculoskeletal injuries can prevent complications. A variety of types of splints are available to EMTs. Always assess pulse motor and sensory functions before and after splinting. All right, good luck on this section test, chapter 28 through 30 exam. I will see you in chapter 31.